Hey, y'all, we want to take a second here to go ahead and give a shout out to our favorite mortgage lender and the official lender of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. That's Casey Burns. He's a mortgage broker with Prime Lending. I bought my house here in Colorado with Casey and I refinanced the property in Tennessee. And I was going to use Casey for that because I had such a great experience. And Casey told me, hey, man, like I'll be straight up with you. I can't. I can't match this other offer. So go with these other guys. Well, I went with those other guys and I regretted it. It was like a three month process for the refi. When I, when I bought my house here in Colorado, it was the easiest transaction for real estate I've ever had in my life. He handles everything. Like he has the heart of an educator, the heart of a teacher. And that's why we recommend him. I've known him for 10 years. I was best friends with his brother in college. I'm still good friends with Casey to this day. And we, we recommend him because of how good he is. So if you want to utilize Casey, give him a call, find out any information. Give him a shout at 919-710-1864. Or you can also reach him at email at casey.burns at primelending.com. And also go check out his website. Get all of his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke, here with my co-host and cousin, Perry. What's going on, man? Oh, not much, brother. Just got back from, you know, a nice, relaxing beach trip with two toddlers. So... It's uh, it was fun. We had a good, good long weekend. Glad to be home. How y'all doing? Doing well. Yeah, we got uh, old Pete Sunderland in the house with us today, so he's here in studio. And by studio, I mean my office. But yeah, we're we're just finished some food as normal, and we're looking forward to talking gear today. Yeah, what's going on, guys? It's Pete. Um, actually, looking forward to just got back from the mountains myself. Actually, just on a camping trip, but looking forward to learning from uh, Luke and Perry here on a few backcountry uh, gear tips on this episode. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this one. This Luke, this is one that Luke and I've been bouncing around for a while that we need to kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive into. We've you know we've touched on different gear questions uh, along the way, but um, for me, obviously having my first what I would you know consider true kind of backcountry western trip coming up this year, um, I'm excited to get into this and kind of pick your brain and and uh, see what's what I need to be prepping for and have have packed up and ready to go. Yeah, definitely. And like a total disclosure, I'm not an expert at backcountry hunting by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I did one season of it last year, but I have spent a lot of time in the backcountry growing up between backpacking, camping, and then with the army being an infantryman, I've lived out of bags for probably the majority of my life um, on and off. So I'm pretty familiar with that. And then I learned, learned a lot of really good lessons last year as well that I think uh, kind of carry over and and help some folks out. That's probably one of the most common questions we get day in and day out is what gear do you like? What do I need? Everybody, everybody always likes the gear talk. And so I'm not going to like break this down too much by brands. There'll be a few brands that I mention and highlight uh, for what I have. But like when I talk clothing, you know, you can just get whatever system you can afford as with anything. I think you should just go with, figure out what your budget is and then just try to figure, get the best gear you can based on your budget. Yeah, that's something that people shouldn't get too wrapped up in, especially if you're, you know, where I am right now, which is kind of at the beginning stages of this and trying to prepare a kit, trying to get your, your clothing system, um, your sleep system, all that stuff dialed in, um, figure out what, what your budget is, figure out your big ticket items, what you know, you're going to have to spend, you know, big chunks on, you know, you need a good pair of boots, et cetera. Um, you need a, a sleep system that's going to keep you warm, shelter that's going to you know, keep you upright and stable, all those things, start backing your, your, um, entire system into that budget and then, um, start filling in the gaps there and, 
and don't get too caught up on uh, the the latest and greatest name brands or just buying the highest end shit just to you know be a big money poser. Yeah, I'd say there's definitely a few things that are like worth spending money on, um, and a few like where you actually get an increase in value uh, with an increase in price. And there's a few uh, categories or clothing or like specific items that that you can just as soon buy from Walmart as as Shields or or REI or Cabela's or whatever. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm going to kind of highlight some of that as we go through. But we can go ahead and jump in this. And like, so right now there's a lot of crossover and it's been good for the hunting community is that there's been a lot of really great technical gear coming out of the mountaineering and the uh, like ultralight back uh, backpacking communities. And you're seeing a lot of that stuff move over into hunting as well. But just, I would be cautious with the ultralight movement because there's a yin and a yang to everything and there's pros and cons. And so the lighter you get, um, the less durable, uh, the less warm, like there's just all sorts of trade-offs as you get lighter and lighter. And so I think there's a balance to be had between buying quality gear that's going to last because there's a significant difference from doing a back packing trip where you're on a trail and doing a backcountry hunt where you're bushwhacking and bivouacking and you're just out there completely off trail. Like it is very, very different uh, down to like your boot selection. Um, and so, I won't, but, but I'll get to that. So we'll, we'll go ahead and start off with clothing. I'm not going to really shout out any name brands. Everybody knows the, the different brands of clothing. I want to talk more about uh, the materials. And I talked about this on a Tuesday tip. So some of you guys might be hearing this for the second time, but I think it's pretty good. And so we'll start with like your layering system. And so you've got your base layers, your mid layers, probably some sort of uh, outer shell. And then you'll have, um, depending on, you know, where you're at as far as climate, you want some rain gear and then some sort of puffy and down system for extra warmth if you're going out in the winter months. And so what I prefer for my base layers is synthetic over Merino. Merino, uh, is great because it doesn't stink. It's uh, naturally antimicrobial. Wool is good because it'll keep you at a survivable temperature, even when it's wet. And people say like, oh, wet wool will still keep you warm. Well, you're still wet and you're still going to be pretty fucking miserable. And that's actually why I prefer synthetic for my base layer. I sweat like no matter what, even if I start off cold, walking up a mountain, even walking to the tree stand, if I'm hunting back East, I just get sweaty. And so having this synthetic layer, it's going to wick the moisture away from your body more and it's going to dry quicker. And so for base layers, I want a synthetic. My mid layers is where I go with a Merino blend. I usually don't use a mid layer on my legs, just on my upper torso. However, if you know you're going to be in really cold temperatures, then having that mid layer is great. And then from uh, some sort of shell. And so there's all different brands for the, the pants you're going to wear. I had a pair of synthetic pants from a brand that I did not like because like my Merino underwear wouldn't smell at all, but then my pants just held stench like crazy. Um, and so I'm still yet to find the perfect pair of pants. I'm going to try a couple of new brands I've got kind of lined up for the fall. Um, but some sort of like poly, um, they're actually, there's some companies now making like poly Merino blends, which I'm really intrigued on. So you'll get some of the, uh, best of both worlds, but I would, I would look at, you know, be very deliberate in the pants you're going to wear. Cause a lot of people like will grab a, a pair of Merino pants and they're like hundred percent Merino and then they get frustrated because they get torn up when they're going through thick brush and stuff. Mm. And so you got to understand, like, are you in open country where there's no bush? Or are you going to be going through like brambles and briars? Like your pants selection is very, uh, needs to be very deliberate based on the, the area you'll be hunting in. 
Yeah, I want to jump in here before um, you get too much further because you said a couple of things there that I'm, I'm curious about. One, uh, I know obviously Marino is is something that a lot of people um, choose for their for their base layers. And so you were saying you prefer the synthetic, um, but then for your kind of mid layer and even maybe your outer, if you might have a Merino blend on the outer, do you find that if you do use that synthetic for your base with a mid layer Merino, that, um, it, that, that synthetic still wicks the moisture through that Merino wool and that the Merino does not, you know, acting as like an insulation of that synthetic does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So the merino might get a little more damp, but at least it's not touching my skin. And the merino will dry. It just does not dry near as quickly as a thin um, synthetic kind of base layer. So that's why I go with the poly ones. But also, you know, I'm primarily hunting in Colorado, Wyoming. It's pretty dry air, so I can just pull that base layer off, put my merino back on, let that base layer dry very quickly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I was thinking about that, too if um how much of a an impact the climate you were in might affect that because for instance if you were in you know an extremely humid or, or wet area and you knew that you weren't really going to be drying out anyway would that then change your approach especially if you were dealing with colder temperatures maybe just go straight to the merino you know all the way through not you know knowing that you're not gonna not gonna be drying out that much yeah so uh probably the coldest one of the coldest temperatures i've been in and granted this is the army but we we're in the teens and we we're doing a long movement um, at night and the only gear that I, uh, had on under the mantra, like move cold, stay warm when you're, you're still type thing was a synthetic base layer and Gore-Tex pants and outer garment because it actually, it, from my opinion, again, not in the back country, but still, uh, you know, moving into cold temperatures, it becomes more important to manage sweat in humid climates because you don't have the safety net of drying out fast. It takes you even longer to get dry. So you have to manage it even more effectively. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. You've really got to manage your, your moisture with your thermoregulation. And so you've got to know the environment that you're in. You got to know your body and how much do you sweat. And so just what like Pete was talking about with the starting or walking cold to, to stay warm type deal is, before you start any movement, you should be fairly, un- like you should actually be uncomfortable cold before you start walking. That's like a good litmus test to know that you've got, um, you don't have too much gear on. If you're comfortable or even just slightly cold when you're going to step, you're, you're, you're going to start sweating. And I know we've all experienced it with even just in the East with tree stands. Um, I mean, one, one season, old John boy walked out, nothing but his long johns that one morning. I got a pretty funny picture of him, but I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Like step out what you got. And then when you get to the point where you're going to sit down and maybe do some glassing, or if you're getting to a tree stand or where you're getting to, you know, wherever you're going, that's when you start putting your layers on when you stop. And then what I'll even do is I'll sit for a little while once I stop. So then my core temp will drop a little bit more. Um, before I start putting my layers on, because mm-hmm. then you can, you can, if your temp, your, your body will temperature will continue to rise even after you've stopped movement for a little while, cause you're, you're still pumping all that blood. And so if you just immediately start throwing on all your layers, you'll actually start sweating before you start coming back down. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's something that I've definitely experienced in the past where you, like you say, you, you leave and you're, you're comfortable or, you know, maybe you leave your, your, extreme outer jacket um and your backpack as you're hiking to the stand 
and even just climbing the tree um, with saddle, climber stand, whatever, a short little 30 minute hike, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to work up a sweat pretty quickly, even in those colder temperatures. So, um, and that's, it's making me reconsider my base layer because I'd have, well, I have a couple of different base layers. Um, I've, I've got a Merino option, but I've got some older synthetic stuff that's not as, um, not as modern and not as probably as, as, uh, well-made as it, as it, some of the more recent stuff that's coming out. So it's making me reconsider for, especially for my Idaho hunt, which is going to be November, um, what my base layer looks like. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, a lot of people will swear by Merino base layers and like that, this is just my personal preference. Um, so like, it's not to say that you running Merino isn't going to work out well for you. And if it's a really thin Merino base layer, then it's probably going to dry fairly quickly as well. So the, the thickness um, is definitely comes into play there. Um, but then rolling down into talking about like your, our outer layers. So like I, I'll use some sort of like wind breaking shell, which some folks do this. Some folks don't, right? Like, uh, you know, I talk about Aaron Snyder a lot just cause I, I like his perspective on the back country. He's got a ton of experience. He doesn't even take a shell cause he prefers if he needs one, he'll just put his rain gear on. And it's just one thing he, one less thing he has to take. I personally just don't like wearing my rain gear a lot cause I feel like I sweat a lot more. Um, and so I do take a shell and I find myself wearing that most of the time cause it's actually water resistant and we don't get a ton of rain in Colorado. So if, if it does just a shower, I'll just keep wearing that and then just wear it dry. Um, and then rain gear, depending on where you are, you know, I don't, I don't take my rain pants a lot. Uh, but if you're in like the Pacific Northwest or I mean, portions of Idaho get a lot of rainfall, you know, depending on what the climate is, where you're going, definitely have those rain pants and obviously the rain jacket. And then, you know, not skimping and having quality there. And there's also a trade-off with that. Like there's a lot of ultra light rain gear on there out there, but once again, like the more lightweight and then the more like quote unquote breathable it is, the less fucking waterproof it is. So, um, there's, there's different levels. Um, I've been in a lot of rain, a lot of rain, and even the most waterproof shit, eventually you're just going to get soaked through. And then if you're wearing it all the time, eventually you're just going to, not only are you going to be getting it from the outside, you're going to be getting all the moisture coming inside out as well from your, from your sweat. So that just goes back into the, knowing how to regulate all that. Something that I found along the way, which is something that you just kind of hinted on and it should be fairly straightforward, fairly obvious, but there's been times specifically here in the East country. And, and I grew up, you know, as you, obviously, you know, Luke, but I grew up just like you did spent a lot of time backpacking Appalachian mountains and so forth. Haven't done obviously any Western back country, backcountry hunts but there have been times where i felt like oh, I'll, I'll be able to get by with just a rain jacket you check the forecast doesn't look like you're going to be getting any heavy you know real um you know onset kind of set in long-term systems and you just grab the jacket and say yeah, i'm not going to need the pants but the reality is if the weather changes or if there's something that you're unprepared for just take the time put the you know put your full rain suit in there um you're, you're going to if it, if it does come a downpour or even just one of those long soaking rains, um, you might get a little hotter, but you're going to, you're going to stay drier longer and you're not going to regret having that, that little bit of extra weight. Yeah. And you have different options, right? And that's the good thing is if you don't bring, like a lot of times I won't bring my rain pants, but, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so I won't go into too much detail on this, but I'll have uh, a tarp. And so that way, if it's raining, 
and I'm walking, like I just get to where I need to get. And then I'll just throw my tarp up, sit down there, wait out the rain. Cause like, once again, Colorado, like we'll get really hard, really bad storms and then they're over in an hour. So you can really just wait it out. But once again, if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you know, you're going to have to be moving and hunting during the rain, you might want to go ahead and have those pants. Uh, like Alaska, um, wanted the pants because there's a lot more rainfall. Like you're in Southern Alaska, it rains constantly. So just definitely, uh, knowing the climates, it's big, but roll into uh so same type deal with like a puffy, um, d- down is not all created equal. And so I won't get into all the different types of down, but just look for quality and then the fill and, when you look at the fill number, I, I don't remember it exactly offhand, but it's basically about how much, how many feathers are in like so much space. And so the, obviously the thicker and then the quality of the feathers really plays a big role um, into your down selection. But I do usually bring down top and bottom uh, because I, what I like is if you, if a storm comes in, that gives you a lot of maneuver room with your, uh, your sleeping bag. You can put those puffy stuff on and then just sit in the, sit in the bag and kind of have like an extra level of insulation. Yeah. That's something I don't have um, now as part of my system that I'm going to have to make sure I get is the puffies, the puffy bottoms. Um, and actually, you know, <laughs> it's funny cause I've always used a puffy or a, a down uh, sleeping bag um, my whole life when I've been out, you know, camping, backpacking, whatever, I've always had down sleeping bags, but I for whatever reason, I was somewhat resistant to the, uh, the puffy outerwear for, for a long time, but man, last year I went ahead and bit, bit the bullet and got, got the jacket. And I tell you what, on those cold frigid mornings, it makes a huge difference. And I was like, man, why did I, why was I so resistant to that? And just using a traditional shell for so, you know, outer shell for so long. Um, it, it, they're, they're amazing piece of equipment to have in that cold weather. Well, I think that, that, that stuff, cause it's also an added layer of that, uh, of wind protection that anything that's fleece or merino um like none of that stuff is like wind resistant where if you get the the shell uh will block a decent amount of wind but if you double down with like a, some kind of puffy down a lot of it because it's got that synthetic outer like a uh, construction or whatever you're talking about it's that is wind resistant plus the shell and that'll help uh, a lot on any especially if there's any kind of wind um, and, and sort of work wonders there. But I got a question for you, Luke, is, is this an area where, cause you can buy like a, a little puffy jacket for, you know, 35 bucks from Walmart, or you can buy one that's like $300 from Arc'teryx. Like what, is this an area where you would actually, you know, drop some cash and, and buy something that's really quality? Yeah, it all, it all comes down to budget, right? Like if, if the, if it's basically between not having one or buying a cheap one, like just buy a cheaper one but you are going to get what you pay for. Um, you're going to get a better down. You're going to get a more water resistant uh, outer material. You'll have something that blocks the wind better and the downfill itself will be better. So, you know, it's, you, you will see a direct difference in the quality from higher end down jackets than you will for a lower end one. And with, so with the, uh, like keeping them dry, like the water resistance of the actual material is really important because it's not going to be waterproof. But when if you're just getting a drizzle and you you don't you know maybe you're away from your your bag or whatever, like not just not getting that down soaked because you will not get that down dry again um, in the backcountry. You just won't. Once it's wet, it's toast. It has no insulation properties once it's wet. So 
yeah, I, I think you should spend the money. But once again, it is down to budget. Just buy the best that you can afford. Because like, understand like this whole gear list that we're going to go through is like, if you're going to buy high end everything, it's probably like six grand at least, uh, maybe more. So you can't buy all this at once. A lot of times you got to pick and choose where you're going to put your money. And then you're going to buy stuff to just get by maybe for a season or two. Yeah. I think that's a good point with any of this stuff that's going to be on the list or, or anything that we're talking about is that you don't, don't feel the need to do it all at once. Um, I started kind of building out some of my, my new improved, uh, hunting gear system last year, added to it a little bit over the off season. And then I'm going to hopefully kind of try to round it out a little bit more this year, but it's going to be one of those things that's constantly evolving. Um, you're going to, you know, trial and error, try new things, scrap pieces of your old system and definitely, definitely something that you can kind of build as you go. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that's, it's going to constantly be evolving and then you're just going to build it out and you'll have different tools. You know, first you might just have one set of everything, but eventually you start building out you, you have, you know, one set of gear for this climate, one set of gear for this topography, like whatever. But yeah. We'll, we'll keep rolling. Cause we're already at 20 minutes and we're not even through halfway through the first one. So, um, I also like to have a net gator, uh, just gives you a lot of versatility. Um, one for face shield, keeps the wind off. Like if you're in Wyoming or, you know, the plains on Colorado, it's pretty windy. So having windshield sun protection, uh, you can use it as a headband, um, to help with sweat, just very, very versatile and at different levels of thickness based on, uh, whether or not, or how cold it is, like whatever the temperatures are going to be. So I've got multiple ones. I've got one really lightweight one that I use for like fly fishing or like summer trips, early season trips. Um, and it's good to keep bugs off you. Like they're just very, very versatile. And I think everybody should use a net gator. Um, Highly like, underrated. Yes, extremely underrated. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, headgear. So I, usually I've got some sort of uh, ball cap, just, you know, some sunshade off the eyes. And then um, usually it's some sort of trucker style with the mesh so it'll breathe because when I'm moving, I just sweat. And then a beanie. I take beanies even in the summer. I will always have some sort of beanie uh, to sleep. I usually wear it when I sleep early morning, when the temperature drops like year round. That is a hundred percent. I'll always have one. Um, once again, they're all not created equal. So like the acrylic ones, which are what, like most of you, like the Carhartt ones, like what we sell in the, uh, in the HLE store. Um, and that's, I, I use those a lot, the, the Carhartt ones, but like, they're not the best. Uh, it's a synthetic material. It's not the warmest. And so like, that's somewhere I will, will like to have one that's like merino wool or a wool beanie. It's going to be significantly warmer and way better insulation, but they're kind of hard to find. I'm actually trying to source and find an HLE one that's going to be merino. Um, we won't use Carhartt this year, but we'll see. I'm having trouble finding them. So, And then gloves. All right, so gloves, uh, same thing. It's like a layering system, and it's based on whatever the temperatures are going to be. And so I've got multiple different sets of gloves from liners to like kind of work gloves, like the mechanics gloves. I'll, I'll wear those during early season just because they help protect your hands when you're going through thick shit. Um, also have a waterproof kind of liner and then like your heavier duty. I've got some uh, outdoor research ones that are like, they go like up my forearm and they're super fucking warm. Those things are awesome. They're great for cold temperatures. Your hands will not go numb in there, but like same with everything, the yin and the yang, the thicker and the heavier duty your gloves are, the less dexterity you have. Um, a lot of people like mittens because mittens actually keep you warmer, uh, but clearly you have no dexterity with those. So, you know, this, it just, you kind of got to play with what you like and what, with whatever you're doing. Um, they do have the mittens that like fold out so you can have like your fingers if you're, um, 
you know, you have your trigger finger for your, either for your release or to shoot the rifle. But yeah, there's, there's a ton of different options for gloves, but I would definitely suggest some sort of layering system there. If, if circling back to what you talked about uh, with like layerings and sweat and temperature control, I think that gloves, head, uh, headgear and neck gear is a great way to manage your temperature while you're on the move. Uh, because if you like that, yeah, hey, you want to start out cold, you can throw that full neck gear, maybe a Bali if you've got it, you know, that's like a neck gator and a beanie combined. Um, you can have all that on. And then as soon as you start to like get a little warm, you take that off, you know, you got to stop moving take your gloves off, take all that off. You know, you got to stop moving, stop, chill out for a little bit, put it right back on. You don't got to take any of your layers off. And that, that is a way that I've found is a super good way to control your temperature um, without having to, you know, get into your pack really. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, it, it's simple, it's simple physiology anatomy at that point. I mean, most people know this, but a lot of people wouldn't necessarily use it to apply it to that, but you're going to lose temperature the quick, quickest in your extremities. So if you're trying to cool yourself off quickly, you know, in one of those situations, take your gloves off, shed the hat, shed the net gator, um, drop your, drop your body temperature down a little bit, stop that sweat. And then when you get to where you're going or, or it's time to, time to, uh, you know, prevent yourself from getting cold again, put it back on extremely useful tip there, Pete. Yeah, I definitely do that. Pull beanie off all the time to cool myself down. It's, I mean, your neck, you'll lose. And same for like trying to warm back up quicker. Keeping the wind off your neck and off your ears is huge. I mean, it'll keep you that much warmer. And then same with your, obviously, like Perry said, you lose, your hands are going to get cold the quickest when you're sitting in the tree stand on your toes. But speaking of toes, I we can talk socks. And so I think Pete is probably going to agree with me 100% just based off his military experience because uh, in the infantry, we swear by one brand of socks and one brand of socks alone, and that's darn toughs. Amen, brother. There, there's just, there's just. I've worn probably forty different brands of socks, and um, there's some decent other socks out there. I mean, Fox River makes an okay sock. Smart Wool makes a, a decent sock. They just don't last very well. Um, there's a couple of different like boot companies that actually make a decent sock, but as far as like the best socks out there. And that, and I, and I think socks are one of those places where you don't skimp. You just spend the fucking money. Um, as darn toughs. And so with those, they've got different levels. And so they've got like, that are like thinner ones. They've got medium ones and they got super thick ones. And if I'm going out and I know the temperatures are going to be cold, I'll do the same thing, like a layering system with my socks. Uh, and so like, I don't usually go with insulated boots. Uh, if I know I'm going to be hiking and moving around a lot. Um, I don't want the insulate. I, I would rather regulate the temperature with and the insulation with the socks because it gives me more, more versatility. If I know I'm going to be sitting and not traveling very far, like tree stand hunting, I do want the the insulation. So I'll do like a thousand gram insulate, like rubber boot or something. If I know I'm not going to be walking long distances. But yeah, with those socks and like the great thing about darn toughs, like they suck initially to buy because they're very expensive for yeah, socks like, what, like 20 bucks a pair 20 bucks a yeah, pair yeah. yeah like it's it's it hurts i mean I've, I've definitely done orders where i've spent like 500 dollars just on socks <laughs> but you buy them once they've got a lifetime warranty so no matter what happens no questions asked you wear a hole in them i've got a i got a stack of them right now i got a mail back to get replacements and you wear them out you just ship them up they'll send you a new pair so you literally will have them for the rest of your life so it's pretty awesome this isn't really a pitch for darn tough but it kind of is because they are the best socks out there um, and Pete and I lived on our feet when we were in the 101st and it's, it's definitely, 
I, I since I bought uh, 15 pairs for Ranger School in 2016, I have not worn a single other sock since then. At least with boots or any any outdoor related activity, not a single other sock. Yeah. I just ordered a couple of the uh, of the heavyweight ones from Darn Tough literally just a couple hours ago. Um, thinking about this podcast, I'm thinking about knowing that that was probably going to come up and uh, prepping for this winter out in out in Idaho because I mean they're phenomenal. They're the best. Period. Yeah, and they also dry really fast for how well. Even the I got the, I wear the medium ones typically, but they'll dry. You can uh, not necessarily on your feet, but if you hang them off your back or whatever, in uh, you know on a sunny day in like under an hour from from like fully soaked. So pretty pretty good stuff. They also hold their shape and their uh, elasticity very well compared to other socks. Like other socks, you wear them for a day and they, like they just get all loose and bunchy and they just don't have that same kind of feel. Uh, Darn tufts will hold that for i mean I, when i go out on a four-day trip i take two pairs of socks that's it and i just alternate them um, i don't take a ton of socks i uh, used to but now that i run darn tufts literally two pairs of socks would do you and you just rotate those mm-hmm. through like you don't you don't need to take a ton one, one on you and one to make sure that you got a drop pair that's yeah, what you need. yeah exactly and then you just dry them out and then like i'll wash them if i need to wash them in like a creek or something i'll just rinse them out and then let them sit in the sun and once again it's easy in Colorado, right? If you're in Washington State or something, this would be a lot harder. But Colorado, you can just dry those socks out like that. But, yeah, we'll go ahead. After socks, we got boots. All right, so with your boots, um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of it's personal preference. But I will say I like a very lightweight boot or even a trail running shoe for hiking. I don't like anything heavy or stiff. Uh, once I started backcountry hunting – I realized the importance of a stiff boot. I have really thick ankles. Like I don't, I've never really had problems. I don't roll my ankles. They're called cankles. Yeah. yeah. I got cankles. Like, and, uh, when you're side sloping a fucking shale Ridge, you know, that's a, a freaking 60 degree angle. Like those lightweight boots don't do a great job. They just don't like, you need that ankle support. You need to have a a better, tougher boot when you're doing things off trails. That was like the biggest shift for me that I really started to notice. Because if you think about it, like how many times have you just gone on the side of a mountain with zero trails? I mean, other than like us walking around like the farm and shit, like back home period, like I I never really done that in like the back country or anything. You're always on a trail. And so it's, it's a lot different. Um, the terrain's a lot more rugged. Um, and that was where I really re- realized the importance of a stiff boot. And so there's a bunch of different brands, um, and boots are like anything else, right? You can spend hundred dollars. You can spend $600, um, based on your budget. The higher end ones are probably better. I, last year I went with like a mid boot, mid range type boot. Uh, I knew I wanted it to get me through last season and then I was going to upgrade this year. It doesn't look like I'm going to do a true backcountry hunt this year. I don't think. Uh, so I probably I'm going to wait until I get back from my um, Europe trip to even buy my boots. But I'm going to be looking at probably Schnee's, Crispy, Zamberland, or uh, uh, Kinetrek, one of those four brands. So they're kind of like the big four for your backcountry uh, backcountry hunting boots. They all kind of look the same too, same style. Yeah, what you said is spot on. I, I actually have spent a decent amount of time side sloping. On, on in some pretty steep topography, not um, in the shale kind of, you know, terrain that you're talking about out there, but um, just it's kind of one of the one of the uh, perks of my job. Um, and dude, you spend all day walking on the side of a mountain in boots that don't have that ankle support. Um, I mean, I, I'm curious 
because I know I've worn a lot of the, you know, a lot of military style boots and a lot of those to me don't seem to have that, that real rigid, um, you know, support for your ankle and man, it will absolutely do a number on your, your ankle, your shins, the bottom of your feet. And you do that all day and you'll be extremely sore. So I know for me, the pair of boots that I'm planning on purchasing, they're going to have some, some damn support to them for sure. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of, a lot of folks in the military, like, uh, like Nike boots and some of the, there's a, Rocky makes like a lightweight boot. And the, the, the catch phrase is like, man, it feels like you're wearing a tennis shoe. Well, that's great. Uh, if you're, if you're moving on, if you're hiking, like Luke said, or you're moving on a road or anything like that, but guess where that doesn't work <laughs> or your sides loping and you're like sideways. My, yeah, you're sideways. Like you need that ankle support. So if anyone, if, if anyone is trying to sell you a boot because it, of how lightweight and great it feels, then that is probably not the boot you want for the type of, uh, uh adventure we're talking about here. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, a lot of the, I mean, even I like, a. With my army boots, I like kind of like a mid support boot. I don't like the like the Rocky SV2s or S2Vs, whatever. They are the real popular, uh, real popular boots for like the more thicker ankle support. I like I like Garmonts. That's what I wear. I'm pretty hardcore Garmont truther for my army boots. But even those, I would not want. Like yeah, in the army, we obviously we're off trails and we're doing a bunch of shit. But I've never been in the topography like I was out here in Colorado. Obviously, um, that was never you know, in Georgia or at Fort Campbell or anywhere, even Afghanistan, I, w- I wasn't up in the mountains. So I was, and we didn't really do long movements dismounted. I definitely learned the value of ankle support last season because the topography is just totally different when you're on the side of these mountains and you're on, you know, like the, it just, you can't pick your path either. You're like, shit, like I need to go there. There's only really one way to go and that's straight fucking up or, and I'm not going to go straight up. So I'm going to zigzag and like side slope moving, you know, 1100 feet and 0.8 miles. Like that's just kind of like the reality of it. And if you're going after a herd of elk or you're responding to, you know, something, a bugle, or you, you know, you spotted up a mule deer or something and you're trying to get after it in a hurry to make your, your spot and stalk, like, yeah, you're picking your trail as you go, but you're also, you know, sometimes it's going to be time sensitive. So you may not have the, the luxury of like trying to pick out that perfect trail and it might just be, all right, that's where I got to get to. And I got to get there now and fucking take off. And so you're going to want that boot. That's going to give you the, the capability to do that. Yeah. hundred percent. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell everybody that they probably need to put somewhere between 40 and 60 miles on their boots before they even go out on the mountain. Like you have to break those boots in. And a lot of these stiffer boots are harder to break in because the leather is thicker and so there's going to take a longer breaking period. So you need to be moving under load with those boots on. And you just, and you got to know, like, they're going to probably chew your feet up initially. But once that starts to break in and form to your foot, it's going to be a lot more comfortable. So, like, the fastest way off the mountain is going to be your foot care. So you've got to understand, just like your thermoregulation with your body, it's the same thing about you got to keep your feet dry. So that's, that's why I'll run a, a thinner layer sock on my base. And then if I know when I'm moving – um, and then if I'll put a thicker sock on when I'm stopping, air your feet out. If you can, if it's warm enough, like if you know, you're going to be glassing for a while, just pop your socks off, air your feet out. Like you just got to keep your feet dry, a little baby powder or whatever. Like got it. You got to do it. It's, it's very important. The fastest way off the mountain, fastest way for soldiers to get fucking pulled out of training is always their feet. It just is. Yeah. That's good stuff. What's, uh, what, what haven't we talked about with clothing? 
Uh, the last thing I've got on here is uh, just gaiters. So you're like boot gaiters. And so if you're not familiar with these, it's like a, a waterproof synthetic, not canvas anymore. They used to be canvas, but now it's like a synthetic material. It's thick and it straps around and it goes over where your pants go over your boots. And I never really used these growing up. I had a pair that I got when I was younger and, and I just never, never used them. Um, but for out here, when you're walking through Sage, there's cactus. Um, there's just all sorts of shit that'll just kind of tear you up. It's really nice to have. And they also help with ticks because they'll keep, which there's no ticks out here, but they would help you in the East. That's what, because they, they keep your pant legs secure. So then nothing can crawl up them. And the other thing that's cool is if you have a good waterproof boot and a good gator, you can cross creeks quickly and keep your shit dry. Like you're, you're not going to be able to stand in there like you could with a rubber boot, but I've crossed creeks with my feet wet water up, up on the gator and, and not bled through and been good to go. So they're, they're pretty versatile. Um, it's not a must. A lot of people don't run them, but honestly, I, I really like them. I wear them all the time now when I go out. Yeah. Something that I actually don't um, have as part of my system. I've never, I haven't run them very much, but I know plenty of people that have, and I think it's, it's something I've contemplated adding in my system and it might be something that I do at some point. Cause like I said, they are extremely versatile um, this time of year. I mean, hell, here in North Carolina, archery season opener is just a little over a month away. Um, there's definitely still going to be ticks out 100%, and anything you can do to, to mitigate that risk is going to be valuable. So, Yeah, and then on your Idaho trip, there's probably going to be snow on the ground, and having gators will help with the snow. It just will. So um, I would highly recommend it. But, yeah, I think that wraps up us on clothing, unless you guys have any more questions. Good, good. Yeah, no, good. Yeah, yeah. Good I'm stuff. good, man. All right, cool. So we'll roll into packs. Um, once again, I'm going to keep saying this. You get what you pay for. Um, and there's some a couple brands for your packs that are kind of the top end, and I'll, I'll get into those later. But uh, we can talk kind of like sizing. I see a lot of folks buying two small packs um, all the time. And I don't know if it's because of this ultralight shit or what, but like you need – somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 cubic inches for a multi-day trip. Like you're going to feel it like that. And that's like my pack last year was an Everly stock uh, V69 destroyer. And it was, I think it came in at uh, 3,660 cubic inches and it was packed pretty damn full. Um, and my, my load is about 50 pounds um, with food. And so, you want a pack that is big enough and is built to be able to carry, uh, you're going to be carrying about 50 pounds for your packed weight. And um, the dogs are losing their fucking mind right now. Jesus. All right. Uh, and so don't get like a 20, a, you know, a 2000 cubic inch pack and think that like you're good to go. Like that's a day pack, but even then it's going to be hard for you to pack out an animal, especially if you're going out for an elk. So I just caution people to not buy too small of a pack. I had mixed mixed feelings on Everly stock. Uh, I've, I think I talked about it in the past. I had ripped off the compression straps, like just trying to cinch them down. I actually ripped them at the seams. I haven't sent it to them yet. I need to just try to get the customer service to fix it. Or I might just sew it myself, but it's definitely frustrating when you spend, you know, almost $400 on a bag and then it doesn't perform the way you want it to. And so I think from here on out, I'm going to be going with Kafaru for all my bags. I have one of their smaller bags and I love it. And I think I'm just going to stick with Kafaru, but some of the other brands you can look at are um, mystery ranch is a really popular brand, um, military and hunting. They actually were started for hunting and then moved into the tactical side. 
they make a really good bag. Uh, Stone Glacier makes a very high end bag. And then uh, Gafaru, like I just said, they make a phenomenal one. And then some of your brands, Kuyu and Sika, uh, they're clothing companies, but they also make bags that are pretty solid. But it is a clothing company that are making bags versus a dedicated bag uh, company. Um, things to think about when you're bag, I would definitely have uh, a rain cover. A lot of them come with the rain covers now. So you can just pull out like mine on my everybody stocks on the bottom. So you can just pull it out, setting up your like extra po- uh, pouches with Molly and set it up for like, you know, if you, if you know, you've got a spotting scope, tripod, binos, like all these different things, like how you fit that into your, you know, into your bag and then how you load your ruck um, is very important. And so packing your ruck is extremely important. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that. That can be a whole nother podcast, but like you want everything tight. You want your weight higher, the higher, all your heavy shit to the top, your lighter shit down on the bottom. So like your sleep system normally goes on the bottom and then everything that's heavy goes higher up and the stuff and it kind of goes without saying but the stuff that's going to be you know that needs to be extremely accessible that you're going to be trying to access multiple times throughout the day um and something else and i remember doing this you know backpacking growing up one of those tricks you learn is pack your bag get get everything you know once you've kind of assembled your your full kit your full system throw it all in there pack it the way you think you are going to want it and then take it out and go wear it, go knock out a couple miles. You're probably going to want to tweak some things. Um, do a, do a mock, you know, a mock scenario where you need to access some of your rain gear quickly, or you need to grab your, um, in this case, maybe your tripod or your spotting, um, your spotting setup to, to try to look at an animal just, you know, play with your setup, practice it and, and don't be afraid to, you know, tweak it as you go do all of that before the, you know, before the night, before the trip. Yeah. It was hundred percent concur with you, Perry. Cause like you, you don't even know necessarily if you have it sized right. Um, I mean, you know, if you have it sized right, if you actually buy it from a store and they size it to you in the, in the, in the store, but a lot of these brands don't even have like retail stores. You buy them online and you, you're not going to know that uh, just by putting it on. Uh, even loaded around your house or around your backyard or whatever. Like you actually need to put a couple miles with this bag on to know like, Oh shoot. Like that starts to rub my hips. Like shoulders are fine. I need to need to scoot the, the hip pouch up or maybe the shoulder straps down and all that stuff. And you don't want to be messing with that when you don't, maybe you need like a tool for it or something like you, you like you really got to figure that stuff out before it's, it's game time. Yeah. You will, constantly see guys with miss sized or miss set up packs with how they're wearing them. Um, like these folks don't realize that you need to have like the waist belt goes like above your hips, like around, like it should be going around your belly button. Um, cause you want all that load sitting on your hips. Your shoulders shouldn't be really carrying any of the load. That's just there to keep the pack against your back. Then you've got your load lifters, uh, up top above your shoulders and you're cinching those down to keep it, it close to your back. And there's like different techniques too. Like when you're walking downhill, you loosen your load lifter so the load shifts back. When you're walking uphill, you tighten them up. But all that's going to come with practice. Like we don't need. We could go into. We could probably do an hour podcast on just what it is, like what rucking and, and living out of a pack is. Um, maybe we'll do that at some point. But I'd honestly probably be a better video series. But um, your pack is very very important because you, you're going to live or die by that how it fits, how it rides and how it disperses that weight. 
And then you need to know it and train with it. And a lot of people just want to throw like a, a plate weight in the bag or even a sandbag. That's fine if you're doing a lot of training, but like as you get closer to the hunt, exactly what Perry said, pack it the way you think you're going to pack it and then ruck with that load. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, that's going to be the only way you truly learn how that pack feels with the specific gear that you're planning on taking for that trip. Um, it, it's, it's one thing, like you said, just to toss in some standardized weights, but I know when we, uh, I mean, hell I was a teenager, but when we were prepping for our 10 day backpacking trip in New Mexico, you know, a decade and a half ago, dude, I practiced packing our backpack. I don't know, a dozen different times, um, for how we were going to actually, uh, or before we actually set out for that trip. And it's going to be the same thing. Um, that's one reason I was so excited to get to this podcast here because that's on my, you know, to-do list to start getting my bag ready, um, for this Idaho trip. It's, you know, it's, we're already into August now, so I need to be, need to be thinking about all those types of things. So I've got two questions here. Uh, do you go, do you guys like internal or external frame packs one and two, what sort of, um, sort of hunting specific requirements for a bag would you recommend over just like a general backpacking backpack or like uh, guys with like mil- like a military background like what are the what are the real differences that you need to pay attention to when you're picking out a bag so two questions there but the, i'm curious about that i'll take the first stab and then i'll let luke kind of back clean up here um one of the nice things about a lot of the different pack companies that that we just mentioned is they are extremely versatile and customizable now um so you have options to play with and you have different systems that can be somewhat interchangeable. Um, I myself did exactly what Luke was talking about and just decided to go ahead and bite the bullet and go with Kafaru. Um, one of the main reasons being that one, I know they're extremely durable, but two, it's extremely customizable. And I went with, um, the, you know, it's external frame. I went with a, a smaller pack for Eastern kind of public land and, you know, whitetail hunting, and then one of the bigger bags um, for Western trips. And it's it's external. And dude, the second I put it on, um, I, had, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to doing the true gear testing yet, but the second I put it on just to kind of try it out, I was like, man, this thing feels great. And so I'm yet to actually test it in the field, um, in the true backcountry with weight. But for me, I think it's, I think I'm going to enjoy the external. Well, and so Kafaru is an external and like probably what a lot of people think of external, which is like this big clunky frame that it's then, um, the bags then cinched down to like, these are very, very well thought out ergonomic frames that are integrated in with the shoulder strap system that the bag can then just be attached to and detached from. So you can actually have multiple bags off your same setup. So I would say the comfort level and the design is actually much more similar to an internal frame, even though technically it is external because it's not inside the bag itself. But like for the, like the, when you think of it traditionally internal, external, they look far more like an internal. It does. And the frames themselves, um, they have different options and different styles depending on your body type, your size, and just your preference. And so you're right. It, it looks, it resembles my old school uh, kind of internal frame, 
backpack, but it is the true external frame and that frame, dude, it's, it's comfortable. And it, uh, you know, I got the one that, that seemed like it made the most sense for, for my frame. Pete, obviously you would, you got a completely different you know body type than I do. You, your frame might be completely different than mine. Um, but I guarantee it'd probably be just as comfortable. Well, that's what's cool about Kafaru is they do have all the different frame options and designs based on different people's body sizes, torso lengths, widths, everything else. So um, that's one of the reasons why Kafaru is so good and why they're so comfortable uh, because they're, it, it's a very custom setup. But you do pay a lot more. Like Kafaru bags are expensive because you're you're paying the same for like either the bag or the frame than what you can buy like just the bag for from it the whole setup from another company. How much, how much is, cause I'm curious. I've only got like experience with like, I've got a Gregory, uh, 72 hour pack right now, which is not honey specific, but it was only, it's like two sixty, and I love it. But like how much is uh, one of these rigs cost? I'd say that's probably pretty close. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I'd say it's probably pretty close to the, the price of the frame, um, that I got. I think my frame might've been a little cheaper than that. And then I got, like I said, I got two different bags. I got a smaller bag and then a big, um, I think it's the 44 mag was the quote unquote big bag I got. They got bags that, you know, are twice that size. Um, but the 44 mag, I think it's got just shy of 4,400 cubic um, inches, hence the name. And so I figured that'd be, yeah, it's, it's good size, but dude, I mean, they've got bags that go up a lot bigger than that even. Um, and to Luke's point, what I knew I didn't want to do is buy too little bag especially when you're spending that much money on it because that 44 mag bag just by itself i'm guessing is probably another 300 350 just a bag okay got it so it's like basically is we're, we're looking at about twice as much as what i what i'm looking at uh but because you've got to buy the bag and the frame right that, yeah, that's right you're gonna be looking probably about just shy of 600 for the full setup for a 44 mag i think I've got it here at like three based on your pattern. If you wanted like OCP, I think you'd be looking multicam. You'd be looking at three forty three, and then the frame is depending on which frames two fifty to three hundred. It's one of those things. The the second you the second you get your hands on it, um, and I dude the customer service. I mean, fucking phenomenal. I mean, it was crazy efficient. That thing shipped from Colorado and was on my back steps before I knew it. But um. The second you put your hands on it, you can just tell it's well made. Um, I don't think I'm going to be, don't think I'm going to be breaking any compression straps on this thing anytime soon. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm switching fully over to Kafara. But um, but there are other great brands out there. Stone Glacier makes a great bag. Mister Rancho's great bags. Everly Stock are are very popular, and I've had good results other than the one that I ripped the compression straps off. But uh, move on from bags and. Just real quickly, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail because it's pretty straightforward, but just something to have is a, a bino harness. It's not a necessity, but it is nice to have that level of organization on your chest, have your binos. Uh, having a rangefinder um, pouch is like a must for me as well. And then preferably another little pouch just to keep like maybe like your windicator or your reeds or whatever, like your mouth reads for calls is just really nice. And there's a ton of different brands out there, uh, marsupial, F- FHA. FHF, uh, Badlands, TNK, you know, they all make good shit. I've got a Badlands one right now. I'm probably going to get a different one just because I don't love the way the magnet release works for backcountry hunting. I really liked it for tree stand, but it will bounce open a lot. And so I want something that's a little more secure for when I'm hiking and shit. But you 
got anything on vinyl harnesses? Not a ton. I don't have a ton of experience with, with different models. Um, last year was the really the first year that I used one, what I would say consistently. And for one thing, I'll say a lot of guys, or at least I've heard people say things like, well, it, when you're drawing a bow, it can inhibit shots or, you know, when you're, when you're out West, obviously it's a necessity, but dude, it's one of those things. I think it's a necessity period. I don't know how I spent so many years hunting without binoculars on my chest because just having that option, um, I never really felt like it got in the way of me climbing trees or, or, you know, drawing the bow or anything like that. Um, get a good harness, something that, that fits you. And, uh, I think it's money well spent. Yeah, I concur. I also just realized we forgot to tackle the second part of Pete's question for the ruck. So we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit as far as like what you're looking at for like hunting packs versus like a day pack or, or a, or a, like a, a hiking pack or a, even a military pack. Um, so I like to buy things that I know I can use for both hunting and the military. So I get dual use out of them. Sometimes I don't do that just to increase the shelf life, but rucks are one that I would like to be able to use for both. And so the big thing with, uh, with hunting that a lot of like hunting specific rucks will start to incorporate now, or have started to incorporate is what's called the meat shelf. And so it's a, basically it's, it's a, a shelf on the bottom of the pack um, that's supported that you can then like, like I'm trying to explain, they compress the rest of the bag down, right? So the it's bag kind of collapsible. Yeah. The bag would collapse. And then on the outside of the bag, you would have a shelf that you could then strap like an elk quarter to. Um, and then that way you're not having to put your meat down inside the bag and get, you know, full of blood and all that shit. I don't really give a shit. I just pressure wash my, like my antelope. I have blood all over my pack. I just, pressure washed it and let it dry afterwards. It wasn't that big of a deal, but, um, I haven't used one of the shelf, but that's probably a big one that like sets the specific style of bag, but you'll see a lot of bags these days will have long pouches on the side, uh, for, to be able to insert your, uh, spotting scope, your tripods, like all that stuff that'll be built into the pack. Just like they're really well thought out these days. Um, you can get rifle scabbards, uh, bow scabbard so you can hang your bow off the back of the pack. Like there's little features that a hunting bag might have versus like your standard Osprey or Gregory. Yeah. I definitely forgot about the second part of Pete's question there. So good job tackling no, that. No, I appreciate it guys. Cause that's, that's something that I'm actually curious about how much like uh crossover uh, compatibility, like these different types of bags have. I mean, there's probably old boys out there that do backcountry hunts in fucking school bags. So like, you know, <laughs> like with anything else, like you can spend the money on like, it's a specific tool for a specific task. There's overlap and you can use any backpack, like, but there's definitely some features that are nice on a bag that's kind of built with hunting in mind. But there's a lot of crossover between like the tactical side and the hunting side, because the other than like, you're not packing out, you know. I hope you're not packing out a you know a quarter of meat you know when you're in the army. <laughs> Field problem. <laughs> got a got a dude's leg strapped to your back. Um, might raise some questions, but there's a lot of crossover, obviously, because the the mission set is actually fairly similar. What's next? Yeah. Rolling to cook stoves and food. Cool. Um, so you know, cook stoves. If you're not going to be at high elevation. Um, and you were going to skimp somewhere cook stoves, probably one of the spots you can do it and just grab one of the 
uh, MSR, Pocket Rocket aren't too expensive. There's some GSI versions you can get off Amazon for very cheap. Um, if you're going to be at elevation, windy conditions, and you've got the money, I would just go ahead and buy the best one out there, which is the MSR reactor. It is the best cooktop. Jet boil is kind of the name that everybody knows. Everybody wants a jet boil. Um, the actual burner itself on a jet boil isn't that good uh, compared to what like MSR has for the reactor. You can just look at the different burners and can just tell the amount of heat. Yeah, it's not cheap. I think it's about 250, 300 bucks uh, for the full setup, but it is definitely worth it. I think um, that thing will burn through anything. The wind doesn't blow it out. It just very efficient. And that's the other thing is like, people don't think about is your fuel, cons- your fuel consumption rates with your stove. Um, it burns way more efficiently than a jet boil or some of these other ones out there. However, if you're not doing a super long, if you're not going for 10 days with no resupply or you're not going at like 10,000 feet to where altitude and burn rates for the altitude are going to be a problem, then I would potentially cut, cut some costs at the stove starting out and upgrade that later. And just quickly explain why altitude is a problem or could be a problem for your burn rate. I mean, it's something that a lot of people are going to be familiar with, but you know, it, it may not be something that's necessarily intuitive. So break that down just quickly. Well, the air is thinner and it's the oxygen levels in the air, right? You need fire, needs oxygen. And so when it's got to be the more efficient, the, the, the burning element itself is the more it's going to be able to burn in the, in the lower oxygen essentially is the, I mean, I don't know the full science behind it, but that's my understanding. Yeah. Basically I, I think that's it. If, if you're having a, a tough time breathing, then imagine that your fire is going to have a tough time breathing too. Exactly. Um, along with the, the um, stove, I would get a, you need a spoon, one of the little sporks. I would highly suggest the long handled one that is worth the extra weight than one of the real short ones. Get the, I don't remember the brand I have, but it's like a titanium long handled spoon. And that thing is phenomenal. So definitely get, get that one. And then for food. All right. This is a question I get a lot of as well. What do you take for food in the backcountry? So the rule of thumb, and it's what I learned when I was younger, hiking the Appalachian trail and doing a lot of backpacking is you want about a hundred calories per ounce. That's like the gold standard. Um, so the most efficient weight for calorie food is, is going to be fat. Anything with fat, it's about 240 calories per ounce. So if it, like nuts, peanut butter, anything with fat is, and there's like a lot of those fat bombs they've got now that you can buy fat packs. I think RX has got some. Um, and I, I'll add in a lot of those cause then I can just put those on top of like a bar, but Dry food's good. I really like, I think the best uh, dehydrated meals on the market are peak refuel. Um, I've tried, I won't say all of them, but damn near all of them. And peak is just far and away the best. They're so good. Um, And they've got more calories. They they cost more, but they've got more calories per pack than the other ones. And so like, like your mountain house and stuff, and they just taste so much better. You're not going to dread eating them and they don't fuck me up as bad. Like, digestively that's like mountain house like when you fucking take a shit after eating mountain house it's like wiping a magic marker like some you, you never get clean it's terrible so can you, can you go into a little more detail on that hey, yeah. hey shitting in the back country <laughs> is a real thing <laughs> folks need to understand that's a reality all right it is and trying to stay clean keeping your digestion good and that's the other thing try the food you're gonna buy before <laughs> you go on a 10-day fucking trip See how your because, body reacts to it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because I mean, I was, I had food poison in Alaska, and like, it's not fun to be puking and shit when you're 
you're trying to glass for bears. So I would highly suggest if you're, especially if it's a big shift in the type of food you eat, um, calories are really important. Like you're going to burn a lot more than you think you will when you're in the back country, when you're moving. So, uh, I like to pack out to pack tortillas because they pack flat. They're pretty light. And then plus everything's good on a tortilla. So I'll take like the, the breakfast scramble from, uh, <coughs> excuse me, from peak slap that on a tortilla with some hot sauce. Don't be afraid to bring some spices, some hot sauce. I always bring cayenne pepper and, uh, fucking some sort of hot sauce. Cause it just helps break up the monotony eating the same thing and then pack foods you like. I mean, that's another thing is you don't want to just pack for efficiency and hate it. And then by day two, you just want to kill yourself. Um, your food's going to be pretty heavy, uh, based on what you need. I should have prepped this. I actually forgot to do it. I was going to try to do it. I used to know how much, how many pounds it was per day, um, in food, but you can look that up. There's, there's plenty of resources there, but how much, how many pounds of food you're going to be carrying per day. But, um, the, the pre-made meals are great. And then just kind of supplement with whatever the Kodiak oatmeal is another one, the protein oatmeal. That's good for the mornings because you're getting some sustenance. Like you definitely need to make sure you're getting enough protein. Sometimes I'll even bring a little protein powder, mix that in my Nalgene, drink that in the morning just to make sure I'm, I'm getting those amino acids and that protein that I need to then recover as I'm moving through. But, Should be about two two pounds of food per day on a three thousand calorie diet. Okay, that's what I was thinking right. two point two. So that was the number. No, that math did not happen in my head. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, two point two pounds of food. So like, think about that because a lot of people tell me they want to go do a ten day backpacking trip, backcountry hunt, and like twenty five pounds of food right there. Yeah, I mean, and and that's three thousand calories is conservative. Um, if you're really going yeah. out, you're mm-hmm. you're going to be burning probably four to five thousand calories a day. Uh, depending on your your size and overall fitness level, so you you can pack a lot of food. And I would suggest people not doing ten day trips, especially for their first one. Uh, do a five and a five, like do five, plan a, a zero day, and then another five, or like a, even a five and then a four, because ten days is a lot longer than you think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're like not on a trail, <laughs> like it just is. It just it really is because there's a, a mental whole mental game you're playing with yourself too. Cause it's not like a like trail's kind of easy. Cause it's linear. You're like, I'm going to walk this direction and I'm good. Like when you're hunting, you're kind of just almost, I mean, you should have picked a plan, built a route, had like, you know, contingencies and all that, but you're still kind of wondering, wondering aimlessly until you find something to try to go after. I mean, well shit, even just 10 days sleeping on the ground, if that's not something you're used to, like that's a long, that's a long ass time. Uh, Especially then you start to factor in inclement weather. Um, you know, all, all the different things we talked about with your, with your clothing, your wearing system, you know, you're, you're not going to be, you're not going to, it's not, you're not going to be at your, your peak comfort. Um, you're doing other things. You're trying to hunt, you're trying to, you know, spot something up. It's, it's, yeah, it's don't, you know, I, I've, I've spent some time, fair amount of time in the field and dude, I would not start, start my Western backcountry hunting off with a 10 day excursion. I would, I would start much smaller than that. Yeah, I, I think it's just expectation management. We've talked about that on a lot of episodes, but people just get some grandiose ideas. And I think so um, you guys got to, if you're going to come out, like just know what you're getting in for and be realistic. Like test your gear, sleep in your sleeping, like have all your shit worked out. You should, you should have done some three-day trips in this whole setup that we're talking about now with all your gear prior to coming out. 
um, where you're sleeping on the ground, you're running through, even if you're not hunting, you just take the gear out to run it and practice it. Um, you've got to do that. Got to do that. But uh, we're all into water um, and we might wrap up after, after water for this episode and split this into two parts. But so water's a big thing. Um, in the army, we're used to just carrying all of our water, which is fucking stupid. It's always dri- like absolutely driven me nuts. Uh, I don't like to carry usually more than maybe a liter or two at a time, uh, depending on where and like how far I'm going and, and where I watered, you know, sources are going to be along the way because water's fucking heavy. Um, so I'll, I'd use an Nalgene and then I use, um, MSR makes the drum light bladders, which are fucking phenomenal. You can get them in two liter, four liter, or six liter. And then you can also get a filter system that you can use that will plug. These bladders are very versatile. And so you can run a filter one, they've got a pump filter that'll go directly screw directly on. And then you can pump directly into the bladder. You can do another one, which is like a drip filter. So you could fill up one bladder with unfiltered water, run the filter in between, and then like have it drip filter, uh, gravity uh, filter into the other bladder and then fill it up with clean water. And so then you have your dirty bladder and your clean bladder. Those are all cool options. I prefer a SteriPen. It's a UV pen. Um, you fill up a liter in your, uh, your Nalgene, and then you wave this pen, and all it is is UV light, and it'll kill everything in there. It's pretty awesome. They're definitely effective. I tested it out pretty good. but And then for an emergency, iodine tablet, tablets or the chlorine drops to then drop in to, to filter your water. But you want multiple, um, you want some redundancy because with the SteriPen, uh, batteries fail, light bulbs fail, filters get clogged. That's why I don't love filters uh, because if you're filtering really dirty water, they can get clogged very, very quickly. And a lot of people don't know that. They think filters are kind of the end-all, be-all but I've seen them get clogged and fuck up. Uh, they are nice for pulling water out of small puddles or places where you can't like get a Nalgene in there. Um, so sometimes it's good if you're going with multiple people, one person has a fucking stereo pin, one person has maybe a filter, a pump filter, and then one person has a gravity filter. And then you've got like a lot of redundancy because the gravity filters are great for filling up a lot at one time if you want to get your camp water. And then you can just, and it's a set it and forget it. You, you get it all set up and then you go glass, you come back to camp and you've got six liters of purified water sitting there waiting on you because water purification takes a long time. Yeah. It's something that people should absolutely not, um, not underthink is there, is there, their means of securing water when they're out in the field. Um, it's something that should, you know, should go without saying, but that redundancy is crucial. That was something we always did in our in our backpacking excursions. It's like you said, different guys would carry different methods of uh, purification. Dude, the steri pin is badass. Um, I don't know when that thing was invented. I I mean I don't know how long it's been around, but that's that's something that you know just from a from a convenience standpoint, from a you know a weight saving standpoint, um, the technology is pretty incredible. I mean hell, you can get those same same style UV filters for, you know, for wells for your house. And they are extremely effective. I mean, incredibly effective. Almost nothing can survive that. Um, but if that's your plan, if that's your plan A, which that's going to be my plan A for this year, have a plan B too. Because like you said, things do happen. Um, and <laughs> as important as food is, water is more important. Um, you don't want to be going black on water or be worried about having to all of a sudden now change the the 
the hunt that you've been looking forward to for months or years because of having to, you know, worry about where your next clean water is coming from. If I could, if I could throw a pro tip on top of all of these methods, <clears throat> a good old fashioned bandana, as you <laughs> on the top of your analogy, <laughs> well, no matter, it will not sterilize it, but it will make it to where you might not have to close your eyes to drink the water you're drinking. <laughs> um, but that, that is a great tip. So if you are in um, a lot of sediment, you can actually use some sort of cloth, fold a bandana, use your net gator and use that to filter out a lot of the larger sediment and then still hit it with whatever your sterilization is. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, on Perry's point about like, I mean, I've talked about my trip with the antelope uh, a few times, but like I was so thirsty. So there was a, a, a cattle water point that was probably about a mile from where I was in the, like the other direction from where my truck was. If it, if my truck had been any further, I would have probably walked and I didn't have any way to purify water, but I was so thirsty. All I was thinking about was just drinking out of that fucking trough. So Go like, straight Joe Salatin on us. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I mean, oh, dude, I was so fucking thirsty. So, um, you don't want to get to that point. Like I, I would have, it was just not too much further for me to just get to the truck. So I was like, fuck it. I'll, I'll make it. And I knew I had a case of water waiting on me, but you don't want to, you don't want to do that. And if I had been in the back country and not been doing a day hunt, I would have been, I would have been in bad shape. So definitely don't overlook water. And that's something you should prep ahead of time. Mark waypoints uh, when you're doing your e-scouting to know where your potential water points are, where the creek is, but then having the ability to fill up a lot of water. That's why I like those drum light MSR bladders because based on where you're at and where you're hunting, um, you may have to drop a thousand feet to get to a Creek. And that's not something you want to do every morning to oh, get no. water. And so you want to be able to store, you know, somewhere between five and 10 liters of water in camp, because it is miserable if you've got to drop a thousand feet to try to get fucking water. It's been a lot of good information, man. We've, uh, we're well over an hour here. Um, this might be a good spot to kind of wrap this one up and, I know we still got a lot of shit to talk about. Break this thing into two parts. Yeah, we can go ahead and split it off. Uh, on this next episode, we'll, we'll talk about shelters, tents, sleeping bags, med kits, and a bunch of miscellaneous shit. And so we'll, we'll roll that into the to the next episode. But uh, Pete, why don't you go ahead and give me your Instagram? All right, guys. I'm at PW Sunderland, S-U-N-D-E-R-L-E-N-D. You are not going to get a lot of hunting content, but you will get a lot of lifting content. Well, we are... Perry's coming down in September uh, once I we have the kid, and I think we're going to let his wife and my wife play with the baby a little bit, and we're going to try to sneak out for a day hunt and k- kill an antelope. So, And Pete uh, just decided he's going to come with us, so that'll be your first Western hunt, right? Yeah, it will be my first Western hunt. Yeah, I'll be carrying water for you guys. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm excited for that. That's uh, glad to glad you're going to be tipping your, dipping your toes into that world as well, so that's cool. <laughs> Perry, what's your Instagram? Yeah, uh, perry.r.eisner on the gram. Um, hit me up. Yeah, and you guys know me at luke.d.cox. And then obviously follow the brand page at huntlifted.official if you're not already. Um, that's where we put out most of our content as far as the apparel side, the brand side and all that. Definitely go check out all the new line that we have up. Go check out the new training programs that Pete developed. Uh, Magna is my favorite so far. I'm doing it. But, you know, all this talk about gear, doing the iDune free program directly into tier, which is our mountain prep program. We're just jumping straight into tier is what you guys probably should be doing right now if you're planning on coming out west, because it will it will definitely prepare you guys for uh, the rigors of backcountry hunting. 
If you guys haven't yet, please go leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you guys uh, enjoy this podcast. Uh, it does wonders for us and the algorithm and the sponsors and everything else. We definitely appreciate all that feedback. Um, and as always, we just appreciate the hell out of every single one of you. So thank you guys so much.